Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Long, Colin Teske, and Mark Boffa with you on this Saturday morning. You can always reach us on the text line at 590-590. Just give us your name and your location. Here with you until noon before we switch over to Sportsnet today. Lots to get to on the program this morning, including the Toronto Maple Leafs, who were winners last night, snapping a mini two-game slide. They are back at it tonight. Take it on the uh, Canadians in Montreal. That's a 7 o'clock start right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan Leafs Nation pregame goes at 630. Of course, you can watch it on Hockey Night in Canada. We'll chat about the Raptors as well, who just will not stop winning. They've now made it 13 in a row following their uh, second straight win over the Indiana Pacers last night. The uh, Raptors also back at it today as uh, they will host the Brooklyn Nets. Kyle Lowry uh, unlikely to play. In this one, after suffering whiplash in the uh, game last night against the Pacers, we'll uh, put a pretty little bow on the Super Bowl as well. And, of course, uh, talk a little bit about the NBA trade deadline, which came and went the uh, other day. But, gentlemen, we begin with the Toronto Maple Leafs, who, like I mentioned, winners last night. It uh, was not easy. They uh, always uh, seem to make it a little bit difficult on themselves, but they come away with two points in that win last night over the Anaheim Ducks as uh, Jack Campbell, Kyle Clifford, making their Maple Leafs debuts. And I know he gave up uh, four goals uh, last night, Mark, but uh, I like what I saw from, you know, Jack Campbell. I thought he, you know, was pretty solid for the most part. He mentioned it after the game that he was battling some nerves, as you can expect. And at least for him, the first shot didn't go past him because if that would happen, then, uh, of course, you would have been a little bit uh, worried about what might go down for him the rest of the way. But uh, I liked what I saw from him, and I liked what I saw from Kyle, Kyle Clifford, of course, uh, pretty much as advertised. So the two new guys definitely making an impact in their first game as a Maple Leaf. Yeah, I liked what I saw from Campbell as well. I mean, obviously, it was a high-scoring game. It was it was 5-4, and they just edged them out in overtime. So you'd like to see your goalie not allow four goals. But we were kind of talking about it before going on air. Like, it's hard to fault him for a bunch of those, like even on the tying goal to send it to overtime, a bit of a scramble there. And, you know, obviously like getting knocked in off of hall skate. And uh, yeah, for the most part, it just kind of looked like the team had a little bit more confidence in him. I mean, it's kind of like, I think it was just one of those things where Kyle Dubas had seen enough. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that he picked up the phone and consummated this trade right away after uh, that fourth goal allowed in the Ranger game uh, in the middle of the week. But it, it just seemed to me like both management and the players had kind of moved on a bit from Michael Hutchinson. Like even after the game against the Rangers, Sheldon Keefe was talking about how uh, just how they could have used a save after getting it within one goal and then the Rangers go up two again. And, you know, even the players were having Hutchinson's back but you can kind of even tell in their post-game comments that it was like, yeah, we could have used a save there. So read between the lines, I think it was just a right move to bring in a more experienced goalie. We've been talking about it forever. And uh, I'm with you. I think despite the high-scoring game, it was uh, it was a good debut for both Clifford and uh, Campbell in between the pipes. Yeah, I just felt like the last week, Kyle Dubas, he had to do something. And, and the play of Michael Hutchinson just forced his hand. And I can't think of a backup goaltender having to step into a situation like this and, and trying to, you know, ride this wave. And it's not like he's just coming in here to sit behind Freddie Anderson and and to spell him, you know, every couple of games. He has to step in right now and deliver. And yeah, there were some goals that I, I look at last night that weren't his fault. But I actually really like the acquisition of a guy like Jack Campbell. Some people wanted a more veteran goaltender. I know Craig Anderson's name was out there, but it's not like... 
Jack Campbell is 22 years old and is an experience. This guy has experience. He's 28 years old. And I think Kyle Dubas made the right move. I actually have no problem with the deal they made to acquire Jack Campbell. Yeah, and it makes sense that they have him under contract for next year as well. So they get a little bit of term um, on this trade. And I know, you know, once it was consummated, everybody's like, well, why couldn't have you done this earlier? And I think we all understand that, you know, trades don't always just come together when you want them to. And, you know, back uh, when Michael Hutchinson was going through his struggles and, you know, Kyle Dubas sort of gave him a vote of confidence. I mean, what else is he supposed to say? He can't just come out and be like, well, it's like not really working out. We're, we're definitely looking at different avenues. Yeah, he, he said what he had to say to make sure he had his players back. But, uh, you know, he did mention after the trade the other day that essentially, you know, they have been looking for a while just uh, it's taken a bit for them to uh, finally land a deal with a team and uh, Jack Campbell is that guy um, so yeah I, I understand why it probably took this long to to get it done and they end up getting a guy who you know doesn't exactly jump off the page but you know you look at the last couple of seasons with LA putting up a save percentage above 920 you at least know that ability's there uh, I don't think we ever would have expected you know Michael Hutchinson despite you know some of his recent starts where maybe he was actually pretty solid to you know give you that over the long term so you get a guy um, that, you know, over the smaller sample size of the last couple of years has shown to be a, a pretty decent, you know, backup goalie in the National Hockey League. And, and that's what he's here for. I mean, as soon as Freddie Anderson is back, he's going to take over and Jack Campbell is only going to get a handful of starts the rest of the way. That, of course, is uh, barring um, any setback for Frederick Anderson at this point. So Kyle Clifford is the other guy uh, that we mentioned, you know, making his debut last night. Um, and. Like I said, as advertised, a guy that's going to bring that physical grit and be showed a little bit of hands as well. Like, he's clearly a guy that can play. And, you know, people have been talking this week about, you know, is Kyle Dubas sort of, you know, uh, coming to grips with, hey, his team needs more of this type of player. And I don't think he's ever shied away from that. He's always just said, look, if you give me a choice of either the guy that's going to be physical or the guy that's going to be able to put the puck in the net and be a skilled player, I'm going to take the skilled guy. Yes, we would love to have someone that encompasses all of that. Um, but like he pointed out, uh, it is difficult to find those types of players. And he was talking about scouring the junior ranks, and it's difficult to find those players these days. So, you know, Kyle Clifford does fit that mold mark of a guy that can bring that physical grit but can also play. And I think we uh, saw that last night. For sure. I think everybody that was clamoring that the Leafs needed more toughness, I think they're right there with you in that you needed a guy who was tough but could also play a little bit. When everybody was talking about adding toughness, I don't think anybody really wanted, you know, the Colt Norris and Fraser McLarens of the world that are just going to play four or five minutes and spend most of the game in the box uh, after getting into a fight. Like you do need guys, you do need tough guys with skill in the, in the new NHL nowadays, even though, you know, we've been calling it the new NHL since like 2005 now, but um, yeah, I think it's, it was a necessary acquisition. And I think that this, <laughs> I think that this conditional third round pick that the, they sent to LA, that's going to become a second because I think you need to resign a guy like Kyle Clifford if it's not going to be him, I think it's paramount you have a player like him in the lineup that has a bit of sandpaper and won't be afraid to take liberties uh, after some scrums. And you saw that last night, how he kind of mixed it up with Getzlaff a little bit. Yeah, and I, I just look at some teams that had to change, you know, the way they played. Washington for years had skill up front, but they weren't able to get over the hump and win a Stanley Cup. But finally, when they did win, they had players like that that could draw the odd player in, draw the odd penalty and we're just tough to play against. I think Kyle Dubas is, is having that realization. And I, I'm not in hockey rooms. I don't know how the, the makeup works. But I think when a guy like Kyle Clifford comes in, who's won two Stanley Cups, he knows what it takes to go through 
the grind of winning a Stanley Cup final. I think a guy like that will add a lot of weight to that locker room. And I think when you look at him, he knows how to win. And he knows that you are going to have to have some physical element to your team. And I think Kyle Clifford adds that. Yeah, he definitely does. And uh, that that experience that he has, you know, going deep in the playoffs, winning a couple of rings is is very paramount for a team that uh, does not have a lot of that stuff. I mean, Jake Muzzin would be the other guy, of course. And, you know, I think... We go back a couple of weeks ago when uh, we heard rumors that the Maple Leafs had spoken to, you know, Justin Williams about the potential of bringing him in. And at the time, I I was curious, you know, how that could potentially be a fit. And I wondered, you know, Justin Williams isn't a physical presence necessarily, but he's a mentally tough guy. They call him Mr. Game 7 for a reason. And, uh, you know, this kind of speaks to that as well, that you have a guy in Kyle Clifford that's been through the wars. And, you know, he's not a superstar player by any means, but a guy that can fill a role, a guy that can play the game, um, as we saw last night, not someone that you're worried about having out there in some of the biggest moments in the game. So um, it it seems to fill a quota on many different levels for this uh, Maple Leafs team. But uh, that mental toughness is something that keeps getting tested with this squad. And last night we saw it again up 3-1, very similar to the uh, Florida Panthers game the other night where uh, the Maple Leafs just get a little lackadaisical. And, you know, it just feels like it's all the little things that are burning them at this point. It's not even like huge, massive mistakes. It's just, you know, Cody Cece passes it off the uh, backboards to nobody. And then last night, it's Rasmus Sandin passing it to Andreas Janssen, putting him in a tough spot. Then they score the shorthanded goal. Then they get the equalizer. It's just all these tiny little things seem to be adding up and, and finding themselves in the back of the net mark. Whereas, you know, maybe on, uh, you know, a large percentage of the game, you know, just any game that the Maple Leafs play, you know, a lot of these mistakes don't end up in their net. But, you know, it's seemingly at the worst times right now, uh, every little thing that they do wrong in the uh, latter stages of the game is, is finding it uh, in, in a spot where the puck ends up in their own net. It just seems to me like they're just having a tough time playing a full 60 minutes. And it's like, you know, they, they have great stretches and then they also just have these momentary lapses too. And that's all it takes. I thought, uh, I thought Elliot Friedman brought up a great point on the panel last night, just saying how uh, on that power play where they, where Anaheim scored the shorthanded goal, like it was a three, one game at the time. And he made a, a good point saying like, I would have liked to have seen two defensemen on the ice instead of the typical four forward and one D on the power play, just knowing that you're up two goals and you absolutely need to win this game. You know, maybe offense isn't the most paramount thing. So, um, you know, and then you saw that the floodgates kind of opened after that, how they tied it up after getting within one. So it just seems to me like they need to just lock in a bit more and it's just like not take any shifts off because you see it in stretches, just how when they need to bear down and get a goal and, and play solid, they can do it. Like, I don't know. I didn't feel, I didn't really feel nervous watching the game after it was 4-4 last night because especially after they were going on the power play because I was just like, you're putting out this death lineup right now of Marner, Tavares, uh, Matthews, and uh, excuse me, I forget the Spezza. last. Spezza, thank yeah. you. And, who looked great last night, by the way. So, um, you know, I, I just feel like when the ta- when the talent's there and they can bear down and, and get it done. But yeah, for whatever reason, they just keep on, you know, just a couple of minutes here and there seem to cost them. And it kind of bothered me on, on Monday night when Keefe was saying that the Florida game was one of their best ever and through two periods. And if they play like that, they're going to get a lot more wins. It's like, Man, like I hear what you're saying and you want to take the positives out of the game, but you gave up four in the third. Like that's not a good look for anybody. You still have to win the game. So um, they need to just, you know, they need to take those two periods versus Florida and 
turn that into a full 60 because like when they are giving up these goals, I feel like it's not even the other team really like bearing down on them. It's just that they're lacking some focus uh, from time to time. Yeah, and it's really bizarre, Colin, because, you know, it's not as if the, the Maple Leafs have some terrible record heading into the third period with a lead. Um, I think there's something like 23-2-2 two and two or something this season with a, a third period lead heading into the third period. So, um, you know, maybe it's a little bit of recency bias here, but it's not the first time we've seen the Maple Leafs, you know, take an early lead in the first period or second period and then cough it away. Um, that's just one of those things that uh, you need to learn when uh, you can push the pace and, and when maybe you should uh, stand back a little bit. Um, and, and it feels like over time that will improve because it's not like you know we talk about how young this team is but it's not as if they're a bunch of 19 20 year olds they're guys that have been around the league three four plus years now outside of you know the Rasmus Sandines of the world and now the Timothy Lilligrens a lot of these guys have a lot of games under their belt so it's it's not as if the rookies out there making rookie mistakes like these guys should know better um, is it a case of you know just not willing to put in the effort or is there something else going on in your mind well I think it is the the latter part Rob I, th- I think it is just the players not realizing the effort you need to put in and how, how tough it is to win in this league and I think that Florida game just highlighted the worst fears of Leaf fans Michael Hutchinson did not play well in that third period when they needed a save defensively it's almost like they just fell asleep they, they played well through 40 minutes but you know, giving up four goals in 20 minutes is just not acceptable in this league, especially with a team like Florida, who came and banged up in that game. They didn't have some of their top six forwards, didn't play their best game, yet they still found a way to steal two points. And that can't happen with a team that you're trying to chase right now. And I hate to say it, but Tampa Bay and Boston aren't even in your sights anymore. You're now fighting for that third spot in this division. And and I think really what what this is highlighting is Kyle Dubas and the Maple Leafs, I think, just need to add one more defenseman. I think one more solid defenseman right now is what they need just to shore things up so you can hide some guys a little bit more in the lineup, like Cody Cece, and maybe not play Rasmus Sandin in some big situations. Well, we'll get more into the uh, potential trade suitors uh, coming up later this hour. But uh, when it comes to uh, one guy that uh, is not going anywhere anytime soon, that's Austin Matthews, who last night scored his 40th goal of the season as uh, he's now tied for the league lead, of course, with uh, Alex Ovechkin, who just continues to uh, defy all logic and uh, put the puck in the back of the net. But for Austin Matthews, this is a career season as uh, he's on pace right now for 60 goals. It's the second time in his career that he's scored 40 goals in a season. And last time he did it was his rookie year, and it took him 82 games, so 55 games so far this year, 40 goals. And I think... We are finally starting to see under Sheldon Keefe this version of Austin Matthews that is the one that we all expected when he was uh, drafted. There was a lot of chatter that, you know, this guy is going to be the next best two-way center in the game, and it's taken a few years for that to, you know, finally be a reality when it comes to his game. But uh, I think the last, you know, last few months, of course, under Sheldon Keefe, but I've noticed that the last several weeks, especially, Mark, where Austin Matthews is just being a force or at least showing effort in all three zones where he's back-checking very hard and in his own zone, he's using his physicality, trying to get the puck back, and that's not something we had always seen before with Austin Matthews, but um, whether it's because he understands the dire circumstances that the team is under right now, that they need as many points as they can possibly get, they're fighting for a playoff spot, or it's an evolution of his game, ultimately, I think it's it's a great sign because uh, if he can you know do these kinds of things then the, the sky is obviously the limit i just think it it's kind of just contagious uh, he, the the train wheels uh, so to speak have been taken off under keith and he's been able to get a few more minutes a game and 
freewheel uh, offensively. And I think that just deals with, like, it is a bit of an evolution, like you said, Rob. Like, it is it is confidence that's getting them to play both ends of the ice with little stick lifts here and there at the, at the defensive end and getting it back up in transition. And uh, for all the people out there that just say Austin Matthews is a shooter, um, I'd like you to text in because uh, <laughs> he had three assists last night, four point night. And yeah, you just really see like, and you just see that pass on the power play, like digging it out from behind the net, feeding Tavares. Uh, like you said, I have nothing, I have nothing else to add to that, Rob, like all three facets of the game. Like you said, he's, he's just been money in the bank right now. Yeah, and ultimately, you know, Colin, he's a guy that you want shooting the puck. I don't necessarily need to say see Austin Matthews setting other guys up, but if it happens, it happens. But uh, this pace that he's on right now, just to you know, shatter his career goal scoring mark is is something that I think we all expected coming into the season. A lot of people predicted that Austin Matthews would score uh, fifty goals, and right now he's on pace for sixty. But uh, what have you seen from him of late? I, I just see confidence, right? And I think this is what we all were waiting for. And, you know, under Mike Babcock, we know that he limited his minutes. And Babcock always said, well, we're winning, so it doesn't matter. We're going to keep him playing these kind of minutes. But I think all of us who have watched Austin Matthews since he was the first overall pick, we're just waiting to see what would it be like if this guy played 24, 25 minutes a night and was put out there in all situations. And now that his health has stabilized too, I think you're finally seeing the first overall pick that everyone cheered about when he finally came here, and it's all kind of coming to fruition right now. Yeah, and I know a lot of people want to see him, you know, at some point maybe gets penalty kill minutes. And, you know, for me, I know Mitch Marner's a guy that's out there, and a lot of teams are putting skilled players out there these days. I don't know if I want to see Austin Matthews blocking shots or, you know, having pucks fired at him. Um, you know, maybe in short stints, maybe you can have him out there, but I, I can't see him being a guy that's, uh, you know, a staple um, when it comes to to the PK. But maybe that is the next evolution as well, just to have him out there. And you see what Mitch Marner does from time to time where he's able to get the puck and be a threat and potentially, you know, set up a shorthanded uh, goal. So, you know, maybe that's something that Austin Matthews will add to his game over time. But uh, hard to complain about what he has done right now um, over the last uh, little while and of course the the entire season and i saw a stat yesterday i think it was uh i forget how many games it was but you look at the leading scorer since a certain amount of time and it's like mitch marner connor mcdavid and austin matthews so that just goes to show you um the kind of production that the maple Leafs are getting right now from these two guys that have been attached to the hip for uh, the last uh, little while now so the uh, maple Leafs are back at it tonight taking on the uh, montreal canadians we will have that game here on sportsnet 590 the fan as of course you can watch it on hockey night in canada when we come back we will uh, talk about potential trade options for the maple leafs they do have some cap space right now and potentially a lot of it if they want to maneuver a certain way uh, what would be the best way to go about that we'll uh, talk about it next here on the sportsnet hot stove rob wong colin teske mark boffo on the sportsnet radio network Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet Hot Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Wong, Colin Teske, and Mark Boffo with you. Still to come, we'll chat about the Red Hot Raptors who look for their 14th straight win tonight as they host the Brooklyn Nets at Scotiabank Arena. Kyle Lowry unlikely to play in this one after suffering whiplash last night. 
But uh, luckily for the Raptors, they did not need him to uh, defeat the Indiana Pacers last night for their 13th straight win. Terrence Davis having uh, himself a game last night. Still wild that this guy is an undrafted player that uh, teams, even though he had said like he wasn't going to take a two-way deal, no team was like, yeah, you know what, let's just draft him anyways. They were like, no, we're good. Uh, we're just going to let him go and uh, do what he wants to do. And uh, 17 points off the bench last night for the Raptors as uh, they look to make it 14 in a row tonight against the Brooklyn Nets. Meantime, the Maple Leafs, like I mentioned, back at it tonight. Also on the second half of a back-to-back, they will visit the Montreal Canadiens. A game we'll have here on Sportsnet 590. The Fan at 7. Leafs Nation pregame goes at 6.30. You can watch it on Hockey Night in Canada. Still waiting to see who will be in goal for the Maple Leafs. Jack Campbell got the start last night. It is expected that uh, he could potentially play two in a row. Because I'm not sure the Maple Leafs want to go back to Michael Hutchinson at this point. Uh, but we'll see what happens uh, tonight for Sheldon Keefe's group. But uh, the Maple Leafs right now, guys, uh, making that trade, of course, for Jack Campbell and Kyle Clifford. Now we're waiting to see if maybe a defenseman is uh, on the way. I know, uh, you know, Kyle Dubas was asked, could this deal with L.A. have potentially been bigger? Because there were some reports out there that maybe Alec Martinez would have been uh, potentially part of a larger deal here. And Kyle Dubas kind of said, no, like, that's not the case. Maybe he's just holding his cards close to the vest, or maybe he's lying about that. But uh, who knows? Uh, we know the Maple Leafs would love to add a defenseman. Uh, I think that's pretty evident um, when you look at their roster right now. And uh, as has been pointed out uh, on several uh, pieces and on social media about the Maple Leafs cap situation with Morgan Riley and Cody Ceci currently on IR, um, the Maple Leafs have uh, $6.5 million worth of cap space on LTIR, I should say. And if they make some additional moves, whether it's Michael Hutchinson going down once Freddie Anderson's healthy, Martin Marincin possibly going down, they could have as much as $9 million to uh, use at some point uh, before the trade deadline. And, uh, you know, this is sort of what the Chicago Blackhawks did back in 2015 when they kept Patrick Kane on LTIR until game one of the playoffs. And come playoff time, there's no salary cap, so you can call up as many players as you want and bring up uh, as many guys off IR as you want. So um, maybe that's something that the Maple Leafs could do. And if that's the case, I mean, $9 million can uh, buy you a lot because that would mean the Maple Leafs could move out draft picks, move out futures as opposed to, you know, uh, Money in, money out, uh, which is currently where they stand. But even with that $6.5 million, guys, uh, you know, P.K. Subban is, I think, someone uh, that a lot of people pegged that's uh, making around that change um, that could be of interest to this Maple Leafs team. But at least right now, even with Cody Ceci on LTIR, they, they do have some options, Colin. You mentioned P.K. Subban, and I mean, that is that would be a sizzling guy to get in here that, that I think would just be, would really rough up Leafs Nation if they got him. But I, I look at P.K. Subban right now, and I don't know. I don't know if I want to go anywhere near PK Subban yeah. and, and that salary, but yeah, with Cody CC and Riley out, it does give you some flexibility. And I'm really curious to see what Kyle Dubas is going to do here. Cause I don't think he's done. And I think the fact that he didn't have to give up an active roster player like Captain or Janssen in this Jack Campbell trade gives him some options. And I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of weeks. If he pulls the trigger on a defenseman, I think with somebody like PK, like you're really just hoping that, it's the current situation he's in and it's not so much him as a player as much as, you know, it's tough to be a New Jersey devil these days, you know, uh, selling off Taylor Hall and you just know you've, you've been bottoming out all year. But yeah, I, I think it's, I think at this point it's just inevitable that they're going to bring in another defenseman. Like, like you said, Colin, just the fact that they were able to hang on to most of their prized assets and with the cap space. I mean, it just seems like, 
you never want to see players go down. You'd much rather have Morgan Riley in the lineup this this time around, and and maybe he's on the ice instead of some of the guys that were there and on the tying goal last night. But, you know, it, it is a blessing in disguise when these guys do go on uh, LTIR. And just with those two facts, I just think, like, it would be a real missed opportunity to not bring in somebody now. Yeah, and one guy that we saw last night, of course, Josh Manson of the Anaheim Ducks. Now, there are reports out there that say, you know, the Ducks don't really plan on on moving this guy. You would have to think it would take um, quite a bit for that to uh, get done. But uh, those are sort of the players that uh, you're looking at if you're you're the Maple Leafs. You're looking at a guy like Josh Manson. I know Dylan DeMello is a guy that Elliot Friedman pointed out on uh, last night's broadcast. I'm, I'm a fan of Dylan DeMello. I think he's, you know, pretty solid for a guy that can play in, in your third pair. And I guess that's what it comes down to. Are the Maple Leafs looking to make a massive upgrade or are they just looking to get um, an upgrade? Um, that's, that's really what it comes down to if you're Kyle Dubas. And, you know, I'm not sure... Um, you know, he, he has mentioned, you know, talking about needle movers and, and that's really what it comes down to. And it seems if you take him at his word that if that's what he's looking for, then I'm not sure there's going to be that type of guy out there. I mean, we mentioned PK Subban and, you know, that's a needle mover when it comes to the name value. But as far as the, the game goes right now, it's definitely not the case with him. So, you know, when we look at some of those players that are out there, whether it's an Alec Martinez, maybe a, a Josh Manson. You know, Matt Dumba, guys of that ilk. I mean, is there anybody there that jumps off the page to you? Or well, you mentioned Dylan DeMello, and, and Dylan DeMello has quietly had a really great season in Ottawa. When he went down with an injury, Ottawa really struggled on the back end. He's been a great fit with Thomas Shabbat, and his cap hit is pretty reasonable. And I think that's what would make Dylan DeMello interesting because I feel like you could add a Dylan DeMello with that cap hit, and then if you want, whatever's left over, you could still add another defenseman. So I think that could be higher up on the wish list for a guy like Kyle Dubas. Um, I'm looking at a Matt Dumba, Josh Manson, though. I think those would be the main targets. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, Ottawa covets Dylan DeMello a lot, and I think that's the guy they're trying to sign more, even than J.G. Pajot right now. Um, so I think Dylan DeMello would be tough to pry out of Ottawa, but if they can't re-sign him, I would definitely kick tires on that guy. Yeah, well, when it comes down to, you know, when we're talking about needle movers, Mark, as you look at this Maple Leafs roster, you know, Tyson Berry, He's not going anywhere despite, you know, his uh, deficiencies to his game. Justin Hall is a guy that they just re-signed, so that guy's got a spot in this lineup. He's not heading back to the press box anytime soon. So it's only really one spot that you're you're battling for here on the right side um, with this way, the, the, with the way this team is currently constituted because you've got Muzzin, you've got Rasmus Sandin, and you've got Travis Dermott. So um, as long as those guys are, are healthy and playing on the left side, it's only one spot to fill. So, you know, I know everybody's clamoring for a defenseman, but if you're, I'm not saying that Justin Hall is not irreplaceable or that you can't find someone that's better than Tyson Berry to fill in, but the names that I just rattled off, I mean, none of those guys I'm looking at, uh, I would say, yeah, please give up significant assets to bring those guys in so that they can you know either play on the second pair or maybe play on the first pair but maybe they're a little bit overmatched well like you're talking about will they will they target a needle mover a bigger name or just somebody that's more solid like guys beggars can't be choosers here like the names that are out there manson brendan dillon like uh, sammy vatanen guys like that like you know they're they're an improvement on on whatever the Leafs are, are putting out there right now. I mean, I love Rasmus Sandin. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him, but, you know, he is still very raw, and he's only got a handful of NHL games under his belt. So I really think that they have to make a move, whether it's for a, a huge name or just somebody that's solid and dependable. I think it's just the reality is you have to make that move. It, it's just, you know, it, it you need defense in the playoffs, and 
there's injuries in the playoffs too. So you just don't want to, you know, just go in without any depth on the blue line because you will be, if, if so, God forbid somebody goes down in the playoffs, like you're, you're looking at a thin blue line without much time to get it right. Cause it's, you know, you lose and you go home. Yeah, and maybe it's a situation where there's someone out there that we're not even thinking of right now or someone that we're not even looking at that the Maple Leafs could be, you know, looking at uh, come trade deadline. So uh, defenseman clearly would be the uh, next spot for the Maple Leafs to uh, find an upgrade. Um, it just comes down to which of these guys do they think is uh, that much of an upgrade, and if so, what are they willing to uh, give up at this point? And for this Maple Leafs team, you know, Kasperi Kapanen's the guy that continues to get thrown out there as far as uh, trade rumors as someone that the Maple Leafs you would think would be looking to move on Andreas Johnson. I guess uh, as well and uh, Jeremy Bronco who uh, down in the minors I think has been um, you know scratched recently for personal reasons we don't exactly know what the reasons are uh, but we know the Maple Leafs now missing a third round pick they are already missing the first round pick and the Patrick Marlowe deal so I'm not sure how far uh, down the line they want to keep moving these picks but uh, they're in a situation where they need to win now they're trying to make the playoffs they can't just uh, give up on this season so um, it's going to be interesting to see what the Maple Leafs will do over the next couple of weeks as they potentially look to add to this roster when we come back we'll uh, take a look around the national hockey league get you caught up in some of the storylines heading into this saturday full of action it is the sportsnet hot stove rob wong colin teske mark boffo on the sportsnet radio network subscribe to the writer's block podcast with your favorite podcatcher sportsnet 590 the fan on demand speaking as a Sportsnet Hot Stove, Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, Colin Teske with you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. A, a full slate of games in the uh, National Hockey League today, including the Toronto Maple Leafs, of course, back at it tonight. On the road in Montreal, taking on their old rivals, the Canadians. We'll have it here on Sportsnet 590. The fan at 7 o'clock. Leafs Nation pregame goes at 6.30. As uh, elsewhere around the league, we've got, uh, like I mentioned, a lot of uh, exciting Action as well as it is Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada. Was it the 20th anniversary, I think, uh, I saw as well. So it's been uh, going on for a long time um, here in this uh, great country. Senators and Jets at 2 o'clock on Sportsnet. Uh, that's followed by the uh, Maple Leafs and Canadians on CBC. And then later tonight, we'll have the uh, Predators and Oilers squaring off. And uh, Flames and Canucks will be the late game on Hockey Night in Canada. So a lot of Canadian teams in action, of course, here on Hockey Day. Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada. But uh, the Washington Capitals will be in action tonight against the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. And we were talking before about Austin Matthews and his 40 goals so far this season, as expected. Well, Alex Ovechkin has uh, 40 goals tied with Matthews for the league lead right now as he just continues to climb the standings, passing everybody at this point. Steve Eiserman, Mark Messier. Um, he's got a bunch of other guys within his sights as well. And, of course, you know, the great one, uh, Wayne Gretzky, the uh, ultimate prize, if he can uh, get there um, at the end of the rainbow, if you will, for Alex Ovechkin. 
and there's a lot of conversation there has been for several years now is Alex Ovechkin the greatest goal scorer ever um, he's clearly the greatest goal scorer of this generation it's always difficult to compare eras guys uh, you know whether you go by um, you know goals per game whether you use adjusted you know statistics or what have you I know just looking at this era where it's incredibly difficult to score goals at times uh, Alex Ovechkin still doing it so you know just based off of that if we're looking at that sort of rationale to me he's the greatest goal scorer of all time you know I think people have been posting videos of like Wayne Gretzky and some of the goals that he was scoring on goalies that were like standing up trying to stop him and Gretzky just like slid along the ice past them um, Alex Ovechkin would have been blasting pucks past everybody um, in the 80s and 70s of course but um, it's crazy that he's still doing it at this age um, he's finding the same spot every single night on the power play and finding the um, puck and putting it in the net so um, it's just incredible to, to watch what he's still accomplishing at this stage of his career you know what, like, I just feel like he, after winning the Cup, we talk all the time about, you know, how it's such a great life to be a, a multi-million dollar athlete and whatnot and everything that comes with it, but you forget, too, that these guys are just highly motivated dudes that have been top of their class at, at what they do their their entire lives, and as Ovechkin kind of ticks off the boxes of, of accomplishments in his career, finally winning the cup and being the first Russian born captain to, to hoist the cup. I mean, I think your goals just continue to evolve and now it just seems like he's locked in on chasing this record guys. I mean, I think a couple of years ago you would say that he didn't have a, a shot. It was just an unbreakable record. And you factor in that father time will always, you know, rear his ugly head, but man, like you said it, Rob, he's just, getting to that same spot teams can't defend him, and he's you know him and uh matthew's tied for the league lead right now uh it's gonna be a it's gonna be a real battle for who wins the richard trophy and i just think he's i just think yes to answer your original question i think he is the best goal scorer of all time largely based on the era but i i just think like he's locked in right now and if he doesn't break the record he's he's definitely getting second on that list in my mind and he's giving it a real shot yeah i look at a guy like alex ovechkin and sometimes i feel like we tended to overlook some european players in the past and like guys like pavel datsuk come to mind but alex ovechkin you can never mistake and i think a lot of people have grown up watching this guy and the older he gets, he just seems to continue to get better and better. And I can't think of a player right now in the NHL that's still appointment watching. And now that he's getting close to Gretzky, which I never thought would be popular, and you nailed it, Rob, too. When you look at some of those Gretzky highlights and not trying to downgrade Gretzky, but some of the goalies he faced just were nowhere near the level of the goaltending that it is now in the NHL. And I think that's what makes Alex Ovechkin impressive. But like Boffo said, I think we're still going to see Alex Ovechkin finish just shy of Gretzky when it's all said and done because he'd have to have 40 goals a year till he's what 40 now just to even come close to catching him yeah it's going to be you know tough but Alex Ovechkin continues to get it done right and I think that's what it comes down to like he's um, still scoring the same way there has been no drop off um, when it comes to his play so you know barring uh, injury of course it, it just feels like it's a matter of time for as long as uh, he can play um, Alex Ovechkin is going to get pretty close to uh, Wayne Gretzky we'll see if uh, he can actually get the job done so the Maple Leafs as we talked about in a playoff spot 
right now. But so you look at that Pacific division and uh, it's three Canadian teams are really duking it out right now for top spot in the Pacific. Vancouver still holding firm, uh, despite the fact they've lost three in a row, leading that division. Uh, Edmonton as well has lost a couple in a row and Calgary has lost three in a row. So the uh, Canadian teams there are uh, struggling a bit right now, but uh, still five points separating the uh, Canucks and Flames for a uh, top spot right now in that division. And for a while there, I thought Vancouver was going to be the team to beat. And, you know, I still have question marks about their defensive play at times. Uh, I love their goaltending, of course, and, and Jacob Markstrom. Uh, but their defense is uh, very Maple Leafs-esque at times and potentially even worse um, at times. So I still have my question marks there. We know with the Oilers, what they're all about. If those two guys and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl can bring it every night, they're going to have a chance to win. Um, Calgary is the team that I'm still not uh, too sure about. They've obviously made a coaching change for uh, you know non-hockey reasons of course with Bill Peters earlier this year but they've you know changed a bunch of their lines and tried to swap a bunch of things around and now Mark Giordano is going to be out for um, quite some time here so it would look like the Flames are probably going to be that team that falls back in the Pacific Division when it comes to those Canadian teams but how have your guys views changed at all um, on the you know, Vancouver Canucks or the Edmonton Oilers Colin I still think Vancouver might be the best story out there I love Edmonton what they're doing but I, I look at Calgary right now and I look at Brad Tree living I can't think of a general manager right now that might be more under the microscope than him this is the team he assembled he's already gone through a coaching change and this is the team that he put together. So the fact they got rid of Michael Froelich and freed up some cal- or some salary cap, I think that Calgary could be a team to watch out for. I think they still believe in this group, and they might make a splash just to try to separate themselves and keep up with Edmonton and Vancouver because the time is now for them. If they don't make the playoffs with this group, I could see major changes in Calgary. It's, it's going to be tough, man. With, with Giordano out, I feel like... They have to make a move, and they have to bring in another defenseman. That guy is Norris caliber. He's a he's a minute eater, and that might just be what gets them out of the playoffs. I mean, it's, he's a very hard guy to replace. He's the captain of that team, and you know the Predators two games in hand, nipping at their heels here for the second wild card spot. Um, the Jets only a point behind them, who've been getting stellar goaltending all year from Hellebuck. I think that uh, when it's all said and done, only two of the three Canadian teams in the Pacific are going to make it, and uh, we'll just have to see where the where the music stops and uh, who's sitting down in a chair. Yeah, I think that's uh, where it's going to come down to as well. But uh, going to be interesting to see um, those two teams uh, duking it out the rest of the way. Uh, meantime, the uh, Boston Bruins, Tampa Bay Lightning, just continue to get it done in the Atlantic Division. And for my money, you know, take away the numbers and the standings. The Tampa Bay Lightning are the best team in the NHL to me. Um, they have found their groove once again and uh, are just doing things that uh, are um, very similar to what they did a couple of seasons ago, even going back to last year, despite the fact that they lost in the uh, first round. But pound for pound, I think they're the best team in the NHL at this point. Boston leading the Atlantic, though, with 78 points. You've got Washington at 77. Pittsburgh continues to get it done, of course. And they're getting healthier. Um, St. Louis, 72 points in the Central Division. A lot of people saying that, uh, hey, uh, they're still the champs. you got to beat the champs before you can crown anybody else at this stage. But um, when we're looking at the best teams in the league, where do you guys stand uh, on that right now, Colin? I hate to say it, but I really like Tampa Bay. And I think going through that early season swing for them where they weren't so hot, they were outside of the playoff picture, I think has really grounded them. I think last year when they got swept by Columbus and were up 3 nothing in game one, I think they were just an arrogant group that thought they could outscore teams. And the fact they got swept and had some early season struggles, I see a team right now that's got that chip on their shoulder 
and, and no team wants to face them. They have been on an incredible run here, and they could catch Boston. So I'm going with Tampa Bay right now as the most dangerous team. It, I just didn't think Tampa was ever out of it when they scuffled early on in the season. Like, they were just too talented of a, of a team. And you're right, like, to deal with that adversity earlier in the season is obviously, you know, you'd rather deal with it then than mid to or end of the season when you're going into the playoffs. So they always have to be a concern. For me, guys, like, I just feel like Pittsburgh is has just been unbelievable all year dealing with all their injuries. We talk about, you know, the Leafs and how they've had to deal with their injuries, and there's really been no excuse with, with Pittsburgh. When you factor in the uh, cup pedigree and just the game breakers they have, I think that they can't, can never be counted out. And, you know, if it, Murray has been up and down this year, but Jari has been a revelation in, in net for them. So I, And they're never a team that's afraid to ride the hot goalie in the playoffs. They're always team first. And, you know, so you've seen them make that, that switch in the playoffs before. So I feel like they're a team that's well-prepared when uh, the playoffs, uh, when the playoffs get started. And I just feel like they're always a matchup that if you're facing them, you, you don't want to be the team that's facing them just because of the pedigree. Well, no, definitely not. That is uh, the case when it comes to that team for sure. Uh, as I mentioned, Maple Leafs, Canadians back at it tonight are Toronto as they visit the Habs. We'll have it here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And uh, Leafs Nation pregame goes at 630. Still waiting to find out who will start in goal for the uh, Maple Leafs tonight. It is expected. Jack Campbell will be in there on the back-to-back. But uh, we shall see what uh, Sheldon Keefe decides to do because they played in overtime last night. So uh, Campbell got a pretty decent workload against the Anaheim Ducks. Coming up, final hour of the program. We'll kick things off talking about the Red Hot Raptors. They won 13 in a row. They'll look for 14 straight tonight against the Brooklyn Nets as uh, the Raptors will be without Kyle Lowry. He's unlikely to play due to a whiplash that he suffered in last night's win over the Indiana Pacers. A little hoops talk next here on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, and Colin Teske here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet Hot Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Wong, Colin Teske, Mark Boffo with you. Raptors, winners of 13 in a row. They took down the Pacers for the second straight game, 115-106 last night in Indiana as they will look for their 14th straight win tonight at home against the Brooklyn Nets. It's a 7-3 tip-off. No Kyle Lowry in this one, or it's not expected to be the case as he had to leave last night's game after suffering whiplash which uh if you've ever had it before i've had it definitely not uh, a great situation uh, i imagine kyle lowry's gonna be a little bit stiff today so uh, not gonna be suiting up for the raptors tonight as they look for 14 in a row against the brooklyn nets and uh, last night it was once again a team effort it was serge Ibaka leading the way 22 points 10 rebounds fred van vliet had 20 terrence davis with 17 off the pine for the uh, toronto raptors as uh, he can just continues to be an absolute stud for the uh, Raptors, the undrafted free agent signing by the Raptors this past summer. So uh, this team right now, guys, winners of 13 in a row, as it just touched on, and definitely making waves right now. I feel like, uh, you know, last night's game was uh, nationally televised south of the border on ESPN, and a lot of people now 
keeping tabs on this team and thinking, okay, they are definitely a lot better than we expected heading into this season without Kawhi Leonard, without Danny Green. They have definitely surpassed my expectations for at this point in the season what they would be because they've suffered so many injuries. They've lost so many man games due to players being banged up. For them to be 38-14 and 14 and on a 13-game winning streak, um, that is definitely not a scenario that I would have expected um, You know, when we were watching you know, lots of Raptors go down with injuries earlier this season, Mark. You know, to, to quote the great Serge Ibaka, I don't know if they're even playing basketball right now. I think they're doing art on the court. <laughs> And I mean, it's just, it's a broken record. Every Saturday we're on this show just talking about the late the latest opponent they've knocked off and the injuries they've overcome. And even in game yesterday, Kyle Lowry goes out with the whiplash, like you mentioned. And it's it's the Terrence Davis game. He just goes off, gets some not only some big baskets, but some emphatic baskets that kind of got the the team going. And guys, like. To chase 14 straight victories tonight uh, after losing Kawhi, after losing Danny Green, having analysts south of the border peg them to be on the periphery of the playoffs or, you know, miss altogether or not even, you know, not be a factor in the East. It's It's been amazing to see and... I really am happy they didn't make any moves at the deadline either. I feel like They've got the championship DNA from last year. Everybody's running it back other than the guys they lost who I mentioned. And it just seems like Nurse is the straw that's stirring the drink right now. He's pushing all the right buttons. And this is a team nobody wants to face in the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, al- you're already going up against the defending champs. And just when you see the adversity they've gone through this season, it just kind of seems like nothing phases them. So... Uh, they're they're fearless right now, and we'll see if they can get the 14th straight win tonight. But whether they do or whether they don't, this has been arguably the best regular season in Raptors history. Yeah, and, and I actually used to get so worked up when people south of the border didn't pay attention to this team. Now, I, I honestly don't care. The way that this team has been able to perform what they've done given the injuries this season, this is one of the most lovable teams I've ever watched and covered And I I look at them and I still see the Eastern Conference as very winnable right now for this group. And no matter who goes down, I have complete confidence in Nick Nurse and and the rest of this group. And I think right now this team has already surpassed last year's regular season. And this has been way more incredible. And I don't think any of us expected that. No, definitely not. And, you know, these 38 wins in the first 52 games, that is a, a franchise record, I believe, at this point as well. So this team is doing things that no other Raptors team has done in uh, years past. And, uh, you know, it's just been crazy. Like all season long, there's been guys that have stepped up that we didn't expect. I mean, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson had his little run there for a while, and he's still a guy that you can rely on. I mean, last night, 13 minutes, six points, five rebounds, three assists, a steal and a block. And, you know, Terrence Davis is a guy that's been um, pretty solid out throughout the season. And especially of late has really, you know, jumped off the page, getting snubbed for the uh, rising stars game. You've had Siakam at points. You've had OG Ananobi points. Serge Ibaka stepping up again right now without the, uh, with the absence of Marcus Saul. So, um, you know, you really haven't had any letdown for many of these players when you've needed them to step up at some point they have. I mean, I didn't even mention Norm Powell who's out right now. I mean, he went on an incredible tear there for a while too. 
and is having a, a career season. So everything is just coming together for this Raptors team. And, you know, you talk about the trade deadline and how the Raptors didn't do anything. I mean, I think this is like the first time uh, ever uh, in like any Toronto sports history where people were like, no, like don't do anything. It was pretty unanimous. Like just stand pat. You don't need to move it out. Any guys like uh, just, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it could have been a, you know, product of the fact that there weren't a ton of guys out there that the Raptors were really interested in or fans were really interested in. Unlike, you know, last season, a guy like Nikola Miritich is a guy that a lot of people were interested in. You know, Marcus Gasol ends up being the player that they get. But uh, this year, it, like I said, it's just so weird that uh, nobody really wanted to see this Raptors team do anything, Mark. It's, you know, like you, meant, you mentioned the adversity and it's like we talked about Kyle Lowry leaving the game yesterday with the whiplash I mean, they were also without Siakam for a bit, too. He got poked in the eye. I don't think he scored a basket uh, in, after he got poked in the eye until the fourth quarter last night. So it's not even just, like, it's not even just looking ahead. It's also just in-game. Like, nothing seems to phase him. It's just, like, a next-man-up mentality. And I'm with you, Colin. Like, you don't you don't like to see your hometown team being disrespected. But clearly the whole team is just using this as fuel. Like they're, they're fine being counted out because they have the belief that they can get it done. And you really just have to, you know, if, if somebody shows you what they are kind of believe them at this point, because they're, they've just been on fire. If I had to make a, a slight prediction, I think maybe the streak ends tonight, just basically because it's a back to back and they've, they've won 13 straight, but like, I, I, you said it like you can't be upset for them not making a move at the deadline. Like I honestly think they should just need they just need to scope out the buyout market and make a, a small addition here or there. And even if they don't, like the roster gets cut down in the playoffs, you're you're playing like eight deep, so they still have the core in place from from last season's run. And I, I, I the sky's the limit. Like I I don't see I don't really see a a team in the East that that really scares scares you if you're the Raptors. I mean, you've, you've beaten Milwaukee before. Philly seems to be scuffling. I'm not saying it's a guaranteed win or, or anything like that, but if you're the Raptors, you have to feel really good about any, any playoff uh, series, any opponent that you're matched up against just because you've got that experience to, to look back on. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Colin. I was going to say, I think, you know, Milwaukee is you know, a team that, you know, is scary. Of course, uh, Miami, I think is a team that's pretty scary too, with the additions that they've made and the play of guys like Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler this year. Um, but yeah, I would agree with Mark. I don't think the Raptors are scared of any of these teams. There are scary teams out there in the Eastern conference this year, led by the Milwaukee Bucks. But with the way this Raptors team has played with the type of defense that we know they can play. I mean, if they are going to lose a playoff series, they're going down swinging either way. Like, this, it's not going to be a four-game sweep. Yeah, it's going to be a grinded-out series that you know is probably going to go six or seven against any of these teams, whether it's the second round or the third round uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. So while I, I don't expect them to make it back to another NBA Finals because I think Milwaukee is definitely the better team than the Raptors because of one singular player in, in Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, the, the Raptors, I think, you know, are, are a lock for the second round, and I feel pretty confident that they probably can get out of the second round as well before potentially facing Milwaukee in a third round. But, you know, for me, it's Milwaukee 1, Toronto 2, just like it's in the standings right now. Yeah, and, and I'm not worried about Miami. I'm not too worried about Philadelphia right now. They're really scuffling. Boston doesn't scare me. I, I think it is Milwaukee that will end up coming out of the Eastern Conference, but 
The fact that the Raptors have been able to hang in there and that they're still in this conversation, I think is the story here. If they make an Eastern Conference final, I'm very happy with that. And the fact that they've been able to get second round picks like Terrence Davis and Pascal Siakam and develop them, they didn't have to go out and make any moves yesterday. And that, I think, is the biggest story for Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster. Like, I'm not trying to sound like too intense here or whatever, but where does Terrence Davis go in the draft at this point? Like, he's got to be a, a top 10, 15 pick, you know, if, if we're just grading it by this season. And uh, listen, we talk about it all the time, how it, it's tough to get players in free agency to come to Toronto, and they just keep finding these diamonds in the rough, uh, you know, after the draft and signing these undrafted free agents. And it's just been amazing to see. And we talk about it all the time, guys, but just having Raptors 905 in the city, just to have that, you know, continuity between the the G League and and, and the NBA team. It's just, it, you can't say enough about the job uh, Masai Ujiri's done. No, you definitely cannot. And uh, Bobby Webster, give him a shout out as well. Um, the, the job that he has done uh, with this Raptors team. And uh, that's a great segue because uh, this past week, of course, we uh, had a little bit of hubbub surrounding Masai Ujiri for uh, about 24 hours when uh, Adrian Wojnarowski uh, tweeted out a report that uh, James Dolan uh, was interested, of course, in pursuing Masai Ujiri to be the new team president of the new York Knicks, which is not the first time that uh, we've heard that, of course. And um, I think, you know, we're still in a spot where the, the Knicks not, have not uh, officially uh, named Leon Rose as their new president. He's expected to be the new president still in the works at this point. So um, if that does happen, that will at least take the job off the table for Masai Ujiri if he uh, wanted it uh, in New York with the Knicks. But I think, you know, even with the reporting Michael Grange has done of Sportsnet recently and, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski, one of the best in the biz, I, I, I don't think we're in the clear yet when it comes to, to Masai Ujiri. This is still a guy that um, is under contract until the end of next season. But, uh, you know, beyond that, his future is uncertain here in Toronto. And I think the point that some people have made, and I really never even thought of it this way, um, not that I expect a Masai Ujiri to be here forever and be a lifelong Raptor and be the team president for the rest of his days. But, um, you know, the question is posed, like, do you see Masai Ujiri, this is the last job that he ever has? And no, I don't think that's the case. Whether it's something he does outside of basketball whether it's something that he does in basketball. You know, some people have said maybe he's going to be the next commissioner of the NBA. Could you see something like that? Of course. Um, so his time is going to come to an end eventually, I think, um, with the Toronto Raptors. You just hope it's not before uh, Giannis becomes a, a free agent. You would like uh, him to stick around, I think, for that at the very least, if Giannis gets to free agency. Um, but beyond that, uh, I think there are definitely question marks about how long Masai Jiri is going to be here. And, you know, if he does go, does he take some of his guys um, because, you know, Nick Nurse, Bobby Webster, uh, Alex McKechnie, they're under contract for the same amount of time as Masai Ujiri. So we're not out of the woods yet is essentially what I'm saying when it comes to all this chatter about Masai and his future in Toronto. And you're, and you're completely right. And and I think where Raptors fans are coming is what you just said with they want to see when free agency hits in a year from now, could they attract one of the best players in the NBA and Giannis to come to Toronto? That would be the cherry on top for Raptors fans. But Here's the thing, and executives, and we've seen this in other sports, I think of Theo Epstein, for one, went to Boston, won in Boston, broke all of that. Then he goes to Chicago, and he wanted to be the guy that fixed the Chicago Cubs. I think there is some lure, as crazy as this is going to sound, even though James Dolan is still there and is one of the worst owners in professional sports, I think there is this interest where you could say, I could be the guy that turned around the New York Knicks. And I know that no free agents wanted to go there. I know that people in New York put out rumors all the time. 
But that, to me, scares me just a little bit. I don't want to throw that out there and get people nervous, but I think there is some weight to that. I'd agree with that. I think, you know, once, you know, we talked about it with Ovechkin. Once you tick off the boxes with with certain goals in your career, you want to see what's out there and what's next in the next step. I don't think the Raptors' president job is the last one Masai Ujiri is going to have. I don't know if the Knicks are as much of a draw to him as much as the city of New York. Like, I think the just the NBA head offices are there. Um, I could see him... Like not not in the near near future, within the next year or two, but I think that might be that's kind of what I was leaning towards. Rob was just I could see him getting the NBA sort of you know front office job, some working somewhere in the league, um, you know a high profile uh, a high profile role that maybe gets him more involved with Giants of Africa and 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 basketball without borders and just him wanting to grow the game globally. Um, I just he. When it comes down to it, like he has earned the right to do whatever he wants in in my mind. He's very well respected, not just in the NBA, but among professional North American sports. And he's clearly uh, he's clearly a very bright and talented executive. So he's gonna when his contract's up, he's gonna have his 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 opportunity to go pretty much wherever he wants. So only he knows if he wants to stay in. Uh, a front office role with an NBA team. Only he knows if he wants to go on to other things that maybe are a bit more beyond basketball and just team building. And, you know, he's he's always somebody that's kept uh, cards close to the vest. And we'll have to see what he decides. Because ultimately, I feel like if he wants to stay, he'll stay. If he wants to go, he'll go. And that's really nobody you know, MLSE or anybody that can talk him out of it. He's a very driven guy that will probably have his mind made up. And I will say too, as much as I think that there is some lure to the Knicks job, you have to remember a guy like Phil Jackson took over the Knicks and he's still hearing about how horrible the job he did with the Knicks. And people forget that he won multiple championships with the Lakers and the Bulls. So that is the risk you would take. But I think Masai Ujiri would be a big domino to fall here. I think we can all stomach the Kawhi stuff because he went home. Masai Ujiri leaving, I think, would leave a, a bitter taste in some Raptors fans' mouths, but they know that this guy's a really talented guy and could go into multiple different avenues. Yeah, and I think what this uh, re- these recent reports have done have, have sort of at least laid the groundwork for a lot of people, and it's like, yeah, he's probably going to leave at some point. Like, we need, we need to brace ourselves and be prepared for that day when it actually um, comes down. I don't think uh, it's going to be, you know, I tweeted out when that uh, initial report came out that, you know, Raptors fans or a lot of Raptors fans, you know, dealt pretty poorly with Kawhi Leonard leaving. How would they feel if Masai Jiri left to go to the New York Knicks of all places? Um, I would, of course, not uh, fault the guy for wanting to chase like that allure, like you said, Colin, of, you know, wanting to be the guy that could fix the New York Knicks. And if you did that, I mean, you, you would, you'd be a legend, of course, in that city. You'd be a legend uh, in the NBA. So um, I don't think I would be, uh, you know, uh, negative about it i can understand where he's coming from um but you know like i said i think we're just at a point now where it's like okay he's still not under contract he hasn't had signed an extension beyond uh the end of a couple of years from now 2021 um you know there could be a scenario here that plays out that uh masai jury's not here maybe bobby webster's not here nick nurse i mean there a lot of that's on the table right now because um, those guys are without extensions at this point point. and colin you brought up a great point about just phil jackson being there in years past like the fact that leon rose is close to accepting this Knicks uh, president job and, and bringing his own guys in. Like, 
guys, like if it's not going well, executives are hired to be fired. Like Phil Jackson, one of the most respected names in the NBA. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's getting paid not to be president of the Knicks right now after that all fell through. So, I mean, yeah, you can sign Leon Rose to, to be uh, the next president, but Hey, if, if ultimately Masai Ujiri's contract comes up and he's the guy that James Dolan wants, then Hey, like, executives have been paid off before to not to not work for their job so really until he is signed long term i think you do have to kind of have that little worry in the back of your head yeah i think it's definitely a possibility uh, we shall see in the meantime beside jerry bobby webster nick nurse south mckechnie they are still here in toronto and doing a fantastic job raptors back at it tonight taking on the brooklyn nets looking for a franchise best uh, 14th win in a row. Kyle Lowry unlikely to play in this one because of a whiplash that he suffered in last night's game against the Indiana Pacers. When we come back, we'll talk some more NBA. The trade deadline has come and gone. We'll uh, chat a little bit about the deals that were made next here on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Colin Teske, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Missed an episode of Hockey Central? Listen to every episode and subscribe with your favorite podcatcher. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Mark Boffa with you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The NBA trade deadline has come and gone. The Raptors, of course, did not do anything, but uh, there were some teams around them that uh, made some moves, including the Miami Heat. Wasn't a deadline move, but uh, last night we saw the Milwaukee Bucks get Marvin Williams, who was bought out by the Charlotte Hornets. So the two teams, two of the teams anyway, surrounding the Raptors right now in the standings, two teams that we can uh, see them facing at some point in these playoffs, potentially beefing up their rosters ahead of the postseason. And uh, definitely a pretty active trade deadline, guys. Uh, the NBA trade deadline is one we never really think about, to be honest with you. Like, of course, here in Canada, we're focused on the uh, NHL trade deadline. We're focused on the Major League Baseball trade deadline. But maybe it's because the Raptors, you know, outside of a, a few times in recent years, they really haven't swung a ton of deals at the uh, deadline. Last year, of course, Marcus Saul. Previous years, we had Serge Ibaka. But uh, the Raptors, not historically a team that's really gotten in there with uh, some big-time moves. But uh, they do not do anything on deadline day. But like I mentioned, the Miami Heat and other teams did. And for the Heat, they get uh, Andre Iguodala in a trade where Iguodala, of course, did not play a single game for the Memphis Grizzlies this year, was holding out, waiting to uh, find a team that he could go to, a contender. He gets his wish, of course, going to Miami in this trade. Uh, there was talk that uh, the Heat were also looking at Danilo Gallinari, but were not able to uh, work out a possible extension with him, which is why the uh, trade did not get done. But, you know, I, it's interesting because Andre Iguodala last year, we saw him uh, in the NBA Finals against the Raptors and still seemed to have a little bit of juice left. But he's a year older. 
hasn't played a lot of games, and maybe that's a good thing because maybe he is healthier because he um, isn't uh, feeling the wear and tear uh, where he would be at this point of the season. Um, and as strong as a, a player as he is, a defensive player, I don't know. I, I have question marks about whether he's really going to be that needle mover for this Miami Heat team. I think they're improved. Like, I think he'll help. But how much will he help, I think, is the biggest question for me. Had a texter on the uh, text line. 590-590 saying that the Heat are better than the Raptors. And I think some people would hold that notion, despite the fact that Miami's a couple games back now of the Raptors in the standings. They, they've played them tough all season, have the Miami Heat. Uh, they have Jimmy Butler, who we saw gave the Raptors trouble last year in that series against Philadelphia. Bam Adebayo shut down Pascal Siakam in those meetings you know, earlier this year. So um, defensively, they are definitely a team that can match this Raptors squad. And I think it would be a heck of a series. And you add Andre Godala to that, that, that clearly helps. Um, but does this all of a sudden make Miami an NBA championship contender because they got Andre Godala? I don't think so. So that's where I kind of stand on that. But um, who do you think out of all the teams that made their moves, guys, um, stands out the most? Because I think Miami's you know one of the clear winners of the NBA trade deadline. For me, Miami is the winner. Um, I know that last segment I said I don't think the Raptors are scared to face or anybody or intimidated by any team, but Miami is the one that would give me the most concern they've been I don't even want to say overachieving but you know they've been they've been a force all year long in the east Jimmy Butler has you know he's added some uh some grit to that team he always just tries to get the most out of his teammates he demands a lot Bam is taking the next step obviously joining him on the uh, all uh, in the all-star game so um they were already a team that played hard very much like the another version of the Raptors with a bunch of, you know, up and coming guys that nobody really knew coming into the season, like none and, and guys like that. But I do like the Iguodala edition for them. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the camp Rob where you said, is it rest versus rust with him, you know, sitting out the the beginning of the season. I'm, I lean to the side where the rest will be beneficial for him. He is 36, but he does take great care of his body. And I do think that just him having the time off, We'll, we'll have him refreshed for a playoff run. And in terms of win, the other winner, I thought, at the deadline, uh, I have to go Golden State. Like, I think this is this is a great opportunity to not buy low because you're giving up D'Angelo Russell in the deal, but I think it's a good opportunity for Andrew Wiggins where he doesn't have to be the star player on a team when Steph Curry's back, when Klay Thompson's back. He's just going to slot in at the three there and... Be, I think, at least on paper, without having him, you know, seen him in a, in a Warriors uniform yet. Like it, on paper, when everybody's healthy, it just seems like he's a much better fit for that team than D'Angelo Russell. And you won't have the the pressure of being, you know, the first overall pick to be a star. He's just going to fit in. And uh, so I really do like that deal for the Warriors. It just seems like they know that it's a it's a lost season this year. They're it's been pretty obvious and you can just tell that uh, this is a move where they're retooling and ready to be a force in the west uh, for the next several years yeah i love what golden state did too and, and i think for golden state the fact that you can just like wipe your hands clean of this year get a high pick you add andrew wiggins when everyone's healthy next year i really like golden state i think that's going to be a really good addition and for wiggins i think just to get out of minnesota was good for him i mean jimmy butler last year and that whole saga i think that's still kind of there and i've always looked at minnesota as just a team that's underachieved with the guys that they have like carl anthony towns i think for andrew wiggins now to be 
out of that light, go to a winning team, have a good coach like Steve Kerr. I think they're the obvious winners. Philadelphia made some moves, but I, I still feel like Philadelphia, I just don't trust Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I think there's just a lot of dysfunction there and they don't mix. Um, but I think Miami and Golden State, I'm in agreement with you guys. Yeah, I think uh, the Golden State trade is very interesting. Uh, you know, it was interesting to hear Steve Kerr say uh, yesterday that uh, to be blunt, like the fit with the Angela Russell uh, positionally was not good. Um, so, you know, to have him on a different team now is probably the best thing for this team, uh, the Golden State Warriors moving forward. But, you know, Andrew Wiggins, of course, you know, this year was an interesting start because he got off to uh, a blazing beginning and it looked like he was turning a corner and, you know, maybe Ryan Saunders, the head coach of the Timberwolves, finally got something out of him. He finally was able to solve that Rubik's Cube that uh, is Andrew Wiggins, but he's sort of fallen back statistically to where he has been throughout his entire career. Now he goes to Golden State, though, where when healthy, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, those are the big three, and Andrew Wiggins, uh, I'm not willing to include him in the big four, but he's essentially, you know, riding shotgun. He's the, the fourth wheel um, when it comes to that team, the fifth wheel, I guess, technically, if you want to look at the, the roster composition that way. But it, not a lot's going to be asked of him, I guess, you know, offensively. He's not going to be out there taking 18 shots a game. Those shots are going to be going to Steph Curry, going to be Klay Thompson. Um, they're going to ask him to play defense, and that's something that's been a challenge for him in his career as well. So the, the role that he's going to have to take on this team when they are healthy is something that he's not accustomed to. Um, outside of playing with Jimmy Butler and Carl uh, Anthony Towns for a bit there. I mean, Andrew Wiggins has always been either the number one guy or the number two guy. And I guess with, you know, Jimmy Butler, maybe is the number three guy. Uh, but here he would be slotted in, you know, behind Steph Curry, behind Clay Thompson. That's a big um, role change to make, to go from a guy that's making a ton of dough, all of a sudden being on a good team, albeit when they are healthy, but essentially saying like, okay, if I want to survive, if I want to make this work, I have to completely change my game and, you know, be um, less offensive minded, uh, maybe be more defensive minded to how these guys want to play. Um, I think that's a big question mark at this point for Andrew Wiggins, because that's always been the you know topic of conversation with him is how badly does he want it? Does he have the motivation? Does he have the drive to want to be a great player in the NBA? Because he clearly has all the tools athletically, um, but there are parts to his game that you just wonder, is it is it ever going to happen? Well, we mentioned how it's a lost season for the Warriors and now now, you know, it's it's evaluation time. Like you aren't making the playoffs. You're you're playing out the stretch here. And this is where you get to see what Andrew Wiggins is all about. Maybe you, you know, Steve Kerr gets to see him for the last uh the last uh couple months of the season here. And he's you know, he's coaching with next year in mind. So he's gonna see what Wiggins' uh, strengths are, what his weaknesses are, uh, you know, put and try to put him in the best position to succeed when he knows the full roster is going. So um, I just think it was just a great deal of business by Golden State, even just to have the foresight to sign Russell before the season, knowing that Clay was out, and you know, just to have an extra asset on your team that you can now pet, that you eventually peddled into this Wiggins deal. So I just think it's a great, uh, a great piece of business by Bob Myers and the the Warriors front office. They really kind of covered all their tracks. They they had some ideas whether the season went well or whether the season went badly. And I think if you're a Warriors fan, it's a it's been a complete disappointment this year, especially moving into a new building. But I think you're seeing that. They're always, you know, when people are playing chess, they're playing checkers. And uh, I think you can't be, you can't think anything else but them being a top four seed easily in the West next year.
Yeah, I, I really like what Bob Meyer is able to do with that D'Angelo Russell trade. But with Wiggins now, it's interesting. He, he's made all the money. He's got a big contract. And, and now that you go to a winning team, I, I just want to see how he reacts to that. I think at this stage of his career, if he ever wants to be back on the marquee, this is his time. And how he fits in with, with Clay and Steph, when all those guys come back, that's to be seen. But I just want to see now that he goes to an organization that's proven they can win, has a good culture, I really want to see how he fits into that mix. Yeah, and I, I look at the situation and, you know, maybe there's some some comparables along the way. Uh, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, for instance, and the way he fit in with Golden State. DeMarcus Cousins is a much better player than Andrew Wiggins uh, ever was. Like, Andrew Wiggins has been a guy that's, a you know, a, a big-time stat on a bad team kind of guy. Uh, so this is a different shift uh, where you have a guy that's uh, historically put up uh, just volume numbers on bad teams, and now he has to go to uh, a team that eventually will be good, not this year, but uh, when everybody gets healthy next season. So, you know, maybe that uh, is when we can have this discussion once again with Andrew Wiggins uh, next year with how he fits into this Golden State Warriors team because as of right now, it's just about him getting acclimated. Steph Curry is going to be coming back soon, so um, we'll get to see a little bit of that. But uh, this is really, you would think, a turning point for Andrew Wiggins' career. I mean, he's got uh, a lot of dough. He's got a lot of commitment left on this deal. So um, the Warriors uh, probably not going to be moving him anytime soon because uh, I'm shocked that the Timberwolves were even able to move him. They had to attach some draft picks to be able to get it done. Um, but it seems like Andrew Wiggins is going to be there for the next three years, and uh, we shall see how he does in a Golden State Warriors uniform. Well, when we come back, we'll uh, put a pretty little bow on the NFL season as the uh, Super Bowl is now in the books. The Kansas City Chiefs, your world champions for uh, 2019 as uh, the XFL gets started today as well, guys. We've got to talk a little bit about that. So some football talk next here on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Colin Teske, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Sportsnet Hot Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Wong, Mark Boffel, Colin Teske with you. Gentlemen, it's the uh, first ever weekend of the new XFL. The week one matchups are as follows. Seattle at D.C. today at 2 o'clock. L.A. at Houston at 5 o'clock. And then tomorrow, Tampa Bay at New York. And uh, St. Louis at Dallas. So, uh... All your XFL takes, gentlemen. Get them out of the way. This is your uh, opportunity. I'm not sure we're ever going to talk about this again until the league folds. That's my guess. But no, I'm just kidding. I'm actually kind of excited to see what's going to happen. All these new crazy rules that uh, we're going to have to figure out how they work. Um, you know, we already laugh right now when we watch the NFL, when every time overtime happens, they have to explain it to us. And it's like, yeah, we get it. But I think in this uh, situation, it's going to be much needed when uh, you're trying to tell me about all these crazy XFL rules that Vince McMahon has put in place. But at least, uh, you know, for the time being, there's some interest. I'm not sure how much really there is going to be, but um, 
you know, because of the XFL brand, the XFL name, we uh, all remember it from back in the day. If uh, you were old enough to um, watch it, uh, I'm at least intrigued to see what's going to happen. We know it's going to la- last at least one season. I can guarantee that. Beyond that, I'm not too sure. But uh, what's your level of excitement, guys, for uh, the XFL today, Colin? Well, I'm reading, like, fantasy draft rankings for the <laughs> XFL. So, I mean, if you're a fantasy nut, you can actually literally have a fantasy roster of XFL guys. Oh, yeah. People um, are betting real money on these games <laughs> so, today. Yeah. I guess you you can't be surprised in today's betting climate of that, that this would be something people would find a way to sprinkle some money on. But, yeah, I mean, I remember when the XFL came in a couple of years, well, a couple of years ago, but a decade ago when it was a, was around. So I will watch. I, I'm a big football fan. I, I think I'm like you, Rob. I think this is probably going to last a year <laughs> and then it's going to go away. And come back 10 years later. But you know what? For me, I'm kind of looking for that football fix. And I'm not ready for the draft yet. So this is kind of the next best thing. Well, guys, as a, as a lifelong uh, Los Angeles Wildcats fan, I'm I'm seriously <laughs> jacked up for the season to get started tonight. But no, seriously, like, I do think it'll be, uh, I do think it'll be a bit more successful than their first run. I think that they've got some, you know, major networks showing the games and yeah, at the very least, you're not going to go see, uh, you're not going to see a product that folds mid season. I don't think you're going to, you know, like the, uh, Alliance of American football and, and some other startup football leagues we've seen in, in recent, um, in, in recent years. But yeah, I think it's just a matter of, like you said, Colin, just kind of getting that football fix. I don't think anybody's expecting, you know, an NFL caliber product, but it just kind of it's just kind of a nice uh, a nice aside. If you want to see some football, you can bet on it if that's what you choose to do. Just kind of get that fix in, like you said. Uh, I think they just know what they are. They're not trying to be. They're not trying to be. You know, a, a major sporting league. I think they're trying to just draw in the casual fan and the casual football fan, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see today. Uh, I hope the football's good because uh, there's a chance it's going to be really bad today but uh people are going to be betting on it like you said colin there's fantasy rankings and stuff like that so uh that at the very least there will there will be interest from uh, degenerates out there that are po- looking to put money uh, on these xfl games but when it comes to the nfl the season now in the books of course we uh, saw last sunday that uh, the kansas city chiefs were crowned uh, Super Bowl champions with a, a win over the San Francisco 49ers with a crazy comeback there in the fourth quarter, scoring 21 unanswered points to win it. And, you know, not that I didn't expect the Chiefs to make a game of it down the stretch. I had my doubts uh, after uh, Patrick Mahomes was uh, picked off on that tip ball from uh, Tyreek Hill with about you know seven minutes left. I'm thinking, oh, that's that's got to be it, right? Like you're down 10 uh, seven minutes left, like all oh, the 49ers, they've been running it down your throats all game long. How difficult is it going to be to run seven minutes off the clock and, and win? Um, but we saw how difficult it is against this uh, Chiefs team, uh, even with, uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo getting some opportunities there, having some open receivers. He was not able to make those passes. And, you know, at the time, I was probably with the with a lot of the people out there saying, why didn't you just keep running the football? But I think in hindsight now, when you 
actually watched that game back. He had a wide open George Kittle on that second and five. It just was a great play that was tipped um, and other opportunities there where Jimmy Garoppolo just didn't make the throw. Is it all on him? No, definitely. Part of it is on Kyle Shanahan being so conservative there late in the first half with his three timeouts was not a good look. So it was a bunch of different things that led to the 49ers losing that game. Um, but I don't think, you know, it was as easy as saying, just keep running the ball and you're just going to run out the clock. As we saw, you just can't do that against the Kansas City Chiefs. You got to put up points, you know, at some juncture and 20 points, as we saw, not enough against uh, Patrick Mahomes and company. And I, I think that that's exactly it. When I watched that game, I, I was like you, Rob, I was thinking, okay, they've come back against Tennessee, against Houston, but that looked to be an insurmountable lead at that point in the game. I loved the way San Francisco's defense had played that entire game, but give credit to Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs team. And I think for the NFL, huge win for them, a team like the Chiefs built on offense wins a Super Bowl. This could be the new trend. And I think when you look at Lamar Jackson and teams like that, and the Baltimore Ravens, this is the way the NFL is going. And I think Patrick Mahomes, the NFL now has kind of their next successor with Tom Brady getting up there in age. You have to give credit where it's due and, and tip your cap to, to Mahomes and Andy Reid and the whole offense for, for scoring those points and coming back. But yeah, for me guys, like, that the end of the first half with San Francisco hanging on to all their timeouts, like listen, and they were still having said that they were still up, you know, they were still up with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. Like, I don't think you can necessarily kind of pin it all on the end of the first half, but like that was kind of telling, no, like it was just kind of like he was like Shanahan was playing to not lose instead of playing to win. And I just think that you you get creative and use those timeouts and stop the clock. Maybe you, there's a chance you can at least kick a field goal or, or something like that and get some points before the half. I understand his his logic in not wanting to give Patrick Mahomes and uh, that offense the ball back with two minutes left and all of their timeouts. But it's like, man, like it's now or never. This is the Super Bowl, and if it doesn't work out, you still have an entire half to kind of rectify things. So it was a little disappointing to see that. Um, I thought he played it a little too conservative there, and he was—he's doubling down. Like even after the game, he said, "Like I don't regret making that decision." And even this past week, when when the 49ers were emptying out their locker, he said the same thing. So uh, I don't know. I feel like Kyle Shanahan just seems to be a little bit in his own head when it comes to these games. We all remember the 28 to three letdown against the Patriots in that Super Bowl. And I hate to just simplify it to that, but, or, but you know, it just seems like when he's in great positions to win and it just seems like tactically it just, I don't know. He's coming up short in these big games guys. But if you, if you told 49ers fans, like you'd be up against the Kansas city chiefs, with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, I think every single Niners fan would have taken that. So um, another, it's another hard lesson for this guy, and uh, he's you know hope maybe third time is a charm for him because it just hasn't been uh, the the record zero two in the last few Super Bowls he's coached in hasn't been great. Yeah, and and the way that it's gone down, I think, is the most frustrating part. If you're Kyle Shanahan, that you had that massive lead against the Patriots, and then you had the ten point lead with uh, seven minutes to go against the. 
Kansas City Chiefs in this one, and it's uh, going to be difficult for him to uh, bounce back from that. He's still got a really strong team moving forward, though. Question marks about Jimmy Garoppolo, unfortunately, uh, for that franchise moving forward. But uh, to get back to your point, uh, Colin, with Patrick Mahomes, I mean, this is the dream scenario for the NFL uh, outside of, you know, I guess having the Patriots win again and you get all that stuff going on. But uh, to have the arguably the best quarterback in the league to, you know, come out on top with this is just a great success. I mean, the storyline of the 49ers would have been great too, because here's a, you know, storied franchise now with their six Super Bowls and, you know, getting back to the glory days and all that stuff. But now you've sort of ushered in the next era and you hope that is the case because, you know, the Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson, we thought maybe that was going to be the next, you know, great dynasty. And we're going to see them win, you know, millions of championships. And that hasn't been the case. Of course, that defense um, fell apart, got injured. And, and those guys are in different places now. And they're the Seahawks are trying to find their way back. And not that, you know, the Chiefs can't run into issues next year. I mean, we saw uh, Patrick Mahomes get hurt this year. He's on dislocate his knee. And people thought that might be, might be the uh, season for him. But uh, it does feel like uh, the Chiefs, the Ravens. I mean, those are the two teams we're kind of looking at here um, that are going to dominate the AFC for the next, you know, five, ten years potentially. And some other teams are going to come out through, um, you know, through it, through it eventually as well. But uh, that's kind of how the NFL wants it to be, to have these two stud quarterbacks leading that next generation um, for the NFL. Yeah, and they, they have a great next wave. And I think Lamar Jackson just added to that this year. So I think the NFL is, is loving the fact that, that Kansas City won and it was Patrick Mahomes to Boffo's point as well. Like John Lynch calling the timeout in the booth, I think just added to, I think, why we're talking about this so much and added to the heat behind Kyle Shanahan, but I also expect the 49ers to be back. I think they're going to be a threat for years to come, and I'm confident Kyle Shanahan will win a Super Bowl eventually. I'd agree with all that. Yeah, we would think uh, we'll see him again, and hopefully, like Mark said, a third time's a charm for Kyle Shanahan. Uh, It's hard to believe the NFL season is over, and uh, in just a few months' time, we'll be talking about the draft, of course, and then in the summer, OTAs and all that stuff, getting ready for another football season. That'll do it for us on this edition of the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Thanks to Colin Teske, Mark Boffo. I'm Rob Wong. Coming up next, we'll switch over to Sportsnet today, kick things off with the 411. You're listening to the Sportsnet Radio Network.